Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek, a sixth generation shaman and best-selling author of Spirit Hacking, bridges the gap between science and spirituality and brings us back to our roots. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders, to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. The time has come to end codependency and put the power back into people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. So the mind, right? The mind. What is the mind? Well, I can definitely tell you your mind isn't your thoughts. It's not your thoughts at all. In fact, your mind, which is this amazing technology, which can be upgraded at any given time, is just waiting for you to decide how to utilize that technology. Your mind is much greater than you see in the third finite aspect of this world. This third dimensional reality that has your mind doing everything based upon what is being projected to you from the outside world is not your mind. That is the aspect of your mind that is dealing with all of these things from the output and input perspective. Your mind is not the thoughts that you think because the thoughts that you think were given to you through information. And the moment you change that information, you begin to think differently. Now, I know a lot of people on the planet get really stuck in their need to be right about what they believe, but they don't understand that what they believe has come from a thought that they have given their whole attention to. And that attention that they've given it to has created the reality that they see to believe in. So the perspective of what they see is from the information that they have available. Now, here's the interesting thing. What about all the information that they don't have available? What if all that information that they don't have available becomes available then would they still be holding on stubbornly, begrudgingly, and righteously to that what they believe? No. Like, if for instance, let's say a religious person who believes that Jesus is the only way to go to the kingdom of heaven, okay? And if Jesus was to land, meaning appear in front of them and say, I'm not the only way to go to the kingdom of heaven. It is through my love and my teachings of love is what brings you to heaven because heaven is a state of consciousness. It goes beyond your thinking and beyond what you call your mind. Do you think that that person having that experience would change their whole entire way of thinking? Or would they fight the very thing they see and think it's being brought on by the devil? Hmm. Makes you wonder, right? Because the idea of what holds you in your position of your quote-unquote thoughts is the reality which you feel comfortable accepting 
which is held onto by your ego, which supports your narrative of what you say is. Your ego is not concerned about trying to convince you of anything. Your ego only takes what you put your attention to and realizes that's the reality that you want to see. Because if it wasn't, then why do you keep putting your attention on it? So therefore, the ego then makes that reality real to you based on the information that you have. Now, if you had new information, like new ideas and new verbs and new adjectives and new nouns to place into your story of what you believe, then your story would be different and the ego then would support a new narrative that supports that story. That's why I always call it a big jambalaya, right? It's a big jambalaya. It's a jumba jambalaya, right? I'm sure what that means to me is, is that it's just a bunch of words and sentences and adjectives and nouns and verbs all floating in infinite space, moving around, and we're just picking and choosing how to put our sentences together to create the reality that we choose. The reality that could be based in truth as we say it, or reality that someone else may see that's based in truth as they say it. And am I wrong and they're right, or are they right and I'm wrong? Well, makes you wonder, right? Because if all of these sentences and word phrases and verbs and nouns and everything is just floating around and waiting for me to take hold of them, make them into a sentence that makes sense to me, and then put my attention and focus on the reality of that through my ego, which is then supporting the narrative of that sentence to become the reality in which I see. So therefore, my reality then takes shape. Like I could say, I'm going to the store. Fair enough. Now, if I follow that with my narrative of my ego, which would be to support that, I'm going to the store. So where? I, who, me, going, I'm going means traveling to where? A store. But what if I said, I'm going to the store, however, before I do, I'm meeting a friend. Well, that changes the story quite a bit, doesn't it? Because it still says that I'm going to the store, but I'm going to meet a friend before I go to the store. So now the friend has now come into the narrative and into the story. I'm going to the store, but before I do, I'm meeting a friend. Now you add, what am I meeting the friend about? I'm meeting the friend to talk about all the horrible things that are happening in their life. Or I'm meeting a friend to talk about all the beautiful things that's going on in their life. That friend will inspire me. That friend will make me feel down. You see, I get to choose what is going on in that situation based on how I choose to react to it. Even if the friend is talking to me and sharing negative stories, I could say, the friend that I saw is telling me negative stories. However, I choose to see it as a way that my friend is now releasing energy they no longer need. I'm so excited and so full of life to see them releasing this negativity back to the spirit world, back to creation, that they can be free from the negativity once and for all. At the end of my conversation, I say to my friend, I am so happy you got all of that out. And now all this light has come in and replaced all that darkness you just let go of. Doesn't it feel great? Don't you feel wonderful, lifted and shifted and transformed? Or I could say, 
wow, that's horrible, and then go into my own negative stories. And then we can become negative share bodies. But still, I still need to go to the store. And who knows what will happen before I get to the store. The choice of the matter is every day you wake up, it's like a story. You get to decide, do I go sit in that chair and meditate? Or do I go and sit in the closet in the dark? Or do I dance around the floor and spin in circles and say, hala hala buna hala buna shatak? Which you don't need to know the meaning, but if you decide, hala hala buna hala buna shatak means life is a beautiful expression filled with glory and joy. Or you could say it means life is full of spirals and spinning orbs of joy and happiness. Or you can say, I'm creating wealth and abundance and prosperity for me and my family and for all those around me. Or you could say that means, I am creating health and rejuvenation in my body. The choice is yours to decide what that word means. That's what life is about. You see, all of the things that you say, like chair, window, door, mirror, bathroom, bed, couch, house, dog, cat, all of these came from someone who decided to give name to things based on its characteristics and based on what it does. These names were then chosen and accepted and passed on through generation to generation, meaning that one person got that information and another person got that information. So yeah, you go sit down in the chair. Or you could say, you go sit down in the jujubin. The jujubin could also be a chair if you choose, because it's your life. And if you don't want to call it a chair, you call it a jujubin. Now, the difference is, let's say for instance, I go out and I meet a bunch of friends and I say, oh, could you please um, bring that jujubin over here for me? They go, the what? The jujubin. What is that? The jujubin. Oh, wait a second, I forgot. In your world, you call it a chair. Could you please bring the jujubin for me? They go, oh, he, th he thinks that jujubin is a chair. Let me go get that. Now, in their perspective, it's a chair. You've decided it's a jujubin. Now, are you wrong? Well, some people would say you are because they want it to be called a chair because everyone else knows it as a chair and everyone else can describe it as a chair, so therefore they can communicate what it really is and be on the same page. But who's to say that you have to follow that? You see, it's your choice to decide what your story is, and it's your choice to decide how the world looks. You could choose to see horrible things as amazing things that are changing and being transformed and allowing people to move into new energies and release the old. Or you can also just see horrible things as being horrible things and go along with it and create a horrible, dreadful, terror story based in fear and, and all kinds of monsters and ghouls, how you choose to do it. It's your choice. The thing is, we could choose to be liberated or we could choose to be slaves and trapped. And see, that's the whole thing about it, right? Is that the whole system that we live in, right, is built with rules and identifications that have been passed down to each person and told to follow it without question. The first thing of rule is anyone who tells you to follow something without question right there is a big red flag. Why? Well, in shamanism, we know that to follow anything without question means that you don't have an observation or be able to change it and f 
experience it and feel it out through all of its levels of existence. That means what? That means that you don't get to have your own opinion or feeling about it. You have to accept someone else's opinion or feeling about it. And what if their opinion and feeling about it was generated without going through the lens of love or through the lens of all inclusivity for the benefit of all people and all animals and all nature? And what if their information that they've come up with through that information that they're sharing with you is devoid of love in general? Does it mean that you have to believe it, accept it, and bring it into your being as a part of truth just because of the fact someone says so? Because that is what control is. That is what it means to, to create rules and fears for the people. You see, human beings have been run that way for a very, very long time. And the consequences were always to either, one, make public examples of them by killing and torture and doing something horrible to remind the people that if you fall out of line and you disobey, there will be consequences. And that's how they raise us to believe our creator is. So people don't get to live to their fullest spectrum. They don't get to live to their fullest self because they're afraid of ridicule, hurt, shame, guilt, pain, and suffering. And most of all, disconnection. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is that if we continue to look at life through this very small, dismal lens, which doesn't really have anything to offer us because we'll be squinting and looking at life, really, because we're not allowing ourselves to see the expansiveness of life because our narrative is holding on to some idea that was given to us by another person without introspection on any level. I mean, that means basically half the information you've gotten from your family. Has anyone even bothered to inspect that it came from love for the sake of love? Or is it something from fear? Or did it come from some suffering of your great-grandfather or your great-grandmother or someone in your lineage? Or perhaps the fact that it's just been passed down and passed down, you know, kind of like that game that people play. Uh, I believe it's called telephone, right? Where you could say something like to someone and they whisper in their ear and say tree. And then the next person goes tree. And the next person goes re. The next person goes d. And the next person goes t. And the next person and the next person. And by the time it gets back to you, it's something completely different than what it was. Well, that's what happens in life when it gets passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation to you. That's why you have to really ask yourself, Am I holding my ego to create, to hold on to the narrative that I was told to follow from my parents without really taking a chance to really observe and see if any of those ideas, belief systems, or thoughts, or any of it serves love, serves evolution, serves connectedness and beingness and wellness and happiness and joy? The mind is not who you are. No. Yeah, you know, I call myself Shaman Durek, but am I really Shaman Durek? Am I really Durek? Am I really any of these things that I call myself, or is that just what I do to create identification so that you have something to refer me by and to have an example or identification of what that means when I call myself that? so that you can understand me more. But you see, I can be many things, and I can be many things in one. 
And I can be many things in all. Because the thing is, creation is not held in a box of one idea or thought. We get to write the story, and you can change the story at any given time. I can simply say, today I choose to walk down the street. Great, I'm walking down the street. Now what will I do? I will go sit under that tree and meditate for half an hour. And in my meditation, I'm going to upgrade my levels of consciousness, optimize my brain, increase my mitochondria, and get rid of inflammation in my body and connect to the nature spirits. Great, fantastic. Now what will you do? I'll go call a friend and bring love to them and let them know how amazing and powerful they are and how it's easy for them to generate prosperity and abundance in their life. Wonderful. What will you do next? Oh, I'll go to the office and come up with amazing ideas to create more ways so that tribe can stay lit and empowered and feel good about their lives and see how many of them are really walking leaders here to lead the message of love for the sake of love, because of love. Great. And what will you do then? I will dance around the street. Outside, I'll dance on the street and let people see me dancing and let them go through their consciousness of why am I not dancing and why is he doing that? And that's weird. And the idea that they think that's weird means they're having a breakthrough because the part of them that they don't allow to dance is now seeing that dance is possible. Great. I love that. And then what will you do next? I will go and get some food and nourish my body with healthy food and make my, my stomach and my body and every part of my being feel good with all the nutrients that I'm bringing in. That sounds wonderful. What will you do next? You see, that's how you can live your life every single day. You get to decide what you do. You don't have to get out of bed, go take a shower, go brush your teeth, and follow the same boring routine every single day because you think that that is your structure because that's who you are. You get to decide who you are. You remember, you are not your mind. See, the mind is just the instrument that consciousness utilizes to bring the story to life in what we call the living dream, right? What's the living dream? The living dream means that in the inner place of love and knowing, which people call heaven, those beings which you once were create universes and galaxies by thinking and dreaming them into form, and then they take forms and go through all of these passageways of light, end up on that living dream, and then dream within the dream, which is like you taking a form and coming to earth, and then dreaming within the dream that was created from all the beings in heaven that created earth. And then by you dreaming within the dream, you're creating more pathways of dreams to create new realities and new stories. And you can change the stories and you can erase them and then put new ones in and you can change the direction of them. I mean, you can do all kinds of things. You can even write stories and say, today I'm going to my friend's house. And today as I go to my friend's house, I'm going to bring a lot of powerful energy to them. And that powerful energy is going to open up doors and opportunities for them because they've been having difficulty finding a job. And now all these jobs are going to come to them. And they're going to feel so good and so empowered. You could choose to do that before you even get to your friend's house. That's called pre-writing, right? Writing before the script needs to be written. You can do that. You can change it. 
You can change it in the moment that you're living it. The great thing about having consciousness is knowing that it's fluid. It's liquid. It can take on any shape. And then once you decide to bring it through your brain or your mind, right, then it gets imprinted. But then you can change it as you want because you truly are the writer. You are the writer of the reality of your realness. And I have to say, it's pretty awesome that every day you get to decide. Today, I'm going to get out of bed and go sit in the middle of my floor. And I'm going to make wild and wacky sounds that are going to open up energies in my body and connect powerful people to me that haven't even met me yet but now will start thinking about me and find their way to me magnetically. Wow, look at that. You could choose to do that. Or you could add something else in there, maybe an adjective, a noun, a verb. Or you can erase the whole entire thing. You can actually go in there and simply say, today I am doing this and I'm gonna go do this and I'm gonna go do that. And you can add all the color and the sparkle and the story and however you wanna do it and your ego will follow along with you. You can even shift your ego to creating new narratives for you. So the thing is, if your story is running in a loop, that's because your ego is supporting your narrative, meaning that the things you asked it to write, it's keeping those stories. You can ask your ego to archive those stories and create something completely new or disconnect from them and disengage them and create something completely new, and it will. You see, the sky's the limit. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to create a more beautiful storyline for yourself so that you and the people around you and the ones you love can benefit from all the joy and happiness that you create in your life? Because you are absolutely miraculous in every way. And I can tell you this, that life is so much fun when you begin to understand that you are not trapped in a narrative and that your mind is not you. You are more than your mind. You are the architect, the artist, the writer that creates life while living life. You are the living poet of creation. And you can choose to make this the most experiential, joyful adventure if you choose. But to limit yourself, hold yourself back, just because you're still playing out someone else's story, which I hate to tell you, you know, some of those stories need to be put on the shelf and left on the shelf, if you get my meaning. Because if you're following someone else's story that have been brought down from your family or ancestors or other people, you have to ask yourself, is that storybook filled with cobwebs and old pages that are worn down? Is that book even relevant to where we are in our evolution? Are you taking information, knowledge from those books 
that have really don't have anything to do with where we are in our evolution today. Because if you are, I think it's time to shelf it. And why don't you write a new book? Write something new, like write a new healing ability or write something so creative and powerful that, that when people step into it, like everything changes for them. Like if you're an artist, for instance, you could say, when I wake up today, I will go to my canvas and I will paint and draw something that when people look at it, it will access energies in them that were laying dormant and they will become awakened with new powers and new insights to create more happiness on planet Earth. New innovations that will support us, new technologies that will advance us and that will interface with nature in a harmonious way. You can do that. That is your choice. And spirit is always just saying, hey, here's a tip. Why don't you do this? Why don't you add this verb in there? Add this noun. You see? And then the beings in the underworld, they're also doing that. They're like, hey, I got some ideas for your story. Why don't you add this in there? This verb, this noun. The question is, if you're going to write a story and you're going to bring together this collaborative team, don't you think your collaborative team should be from the light and not from the underworld spirits using nouns and adjectives and verbs that are not of the highest nature? I think so. Because I mean, don't you want a masterpiece? You see, the thing is, all these beings and all these spirits are ever doing is just adding to your story by giving you ideas of things to write. But you're the writer. You are the true writer. You're the one writing the story. What I love so much about life is all the different things that you can do and experience in life and all the things you can do and experience in life that you didn't even know you could or that it even existed until you were willing to write it and bring it to life. So why not choose to write an adventure or write a love story or write the most amazing experience such as how you come into money and are able to change the world by using your currency of prosperity to shift the lives of people and yourself. Or write health into your life, or peace, or ease, or grace. And when you get voices that speak to you in your head, are they the sketchers, the beings from the underworld, who wrote stories that they're still dealing with? Like when a spirit is coming from the darkness, it's not so much to focus on the fact of, that it comes from the darkness. It's to focus on the fact that it has unfinished business, meaning it has an unfinished story that it didn't complete, and that's why it didn't go to the light. So you can help it by writing its story and writing its story that leads it to the light. Well, it's the same thing. So if you get a negative thought that comes through your mind, you can simply write that thought and find the words, adjectives, nouns, and verbs to lead it right into the light, back to the source. You see, there's nothing holding you back. And you can choose to be make that understanding truth to you 
by writing it into your life. Nothing is holding me back. And because nothing holds me back, I can do anything. And because I can do anything, I'm open to limitless possibility, which allows my consciousness and my energy to attract experiences and adventures that lead me on those beautiful limitless journeys where I gather the most amazing and beautiful poetic stories that are all life enhancing and filled with love. You could write that as well. The mind is a wonderful thing, but remember, it's not you. It's just a tool that you get to orchestrate the way you choose to. So orchestrate the mind in a way that creates the life that you want to live. A life that you want to experience. And remember, at any given time, with the flick of your pen, you can change your mind and everything else will change. So, go ahead, write the most amazing story every single day. Remember, you are not your mind and your mind is not you. It is a tool for you to orchestrate in this dimension. And consciousness is fluid, it's like vapor, it's liquid, it can take on any shape at any given time. If you want to write labels onto yourself that hold and trap you to ideas of the world that connect to those labels, go ahead. And if you want to erase those labels and be label free, go ahead. And if you want to write whatever you want to write, write it. And all I ask you to do is use your tool to write something that supports us all so that we can all benefit from the beauty and the awe and the inspiration of your creative talent of being alive in this body as a living presence of divinity. I love you so much and I know that you are going to write the greatest story because you're already doing it just by being here in this share. I love you. Enjoy the rest of the shares. <laughs> Bye. Hi, tribe. So I love sharing messages and teachings and information from the tribe. And it's important for us to let the tribal members know each other and share each other's gifts. And I can be everything from poems or perhaps you have a recipe you want to share with us or something that you feel the tribe could use to thrive, to grow and to shake it up, to wake it up or just to feel good in their heart and soul. So if you do have something you want to submit, you can submit this to info at shamandurek.com. You can submit an audio file or you can do a vocal or anything you want to submit 
um, but it has to be audio, of course. And please leave your social media tags and your name so that we can share with the tribe, the tribal member share. So for our tribal member share today, we have Christina. Her IG account is at channel the love and she has sent in a song and I am so happy for you to hear it. And here it is from Christina, our tribal member. Love you. I see you with those tears falling down. You're giving up for now, trying to make your way. I see you, even though your heart is broken, and it seems like there is nothing going right. I see you, all the parts of you glowing, and I see you. You are illumination and love If you only knew what the universe has in store for you You'd be running wild in a field of flowers Holding your head high You are the queen in your life right now and it's time to break free I see you As you're struggling with fears You've carried all these years That weigh you down I see you Trying hard to gather strength to relinquish all the darkness that clouds your mind and i see you and that magical heart glowing and i see you that amazing spark still knowing you are divine inspiration with the strength of a dove you are Heart glow. 
Hey Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors who is Lit Verified. Hey Tribe, so I am very excited to share um, about this amazing product. The company is called Ned. And, and I, I, you know, I know a lot of people are always wondering, like, okay, when I'm sharing Lit Verified, you know, products. But this product is something very special because, you know, I've been recently getting into CBD, really understanding it and, like, really doing a lot of research about it. And because of the fact, as you know, I'm about bringing science and spirituality together as I am, a, um, you know, a regular on the TV show The Doctors and talking a lot about things that are here to help people and make changes in people's lives. I really believe in the ethicalness of this company because, you know, not only because of the fact that they, you know, show all of their research and everything that they're doing and like really open about letting you know where their things are coming from in their company, which is nice because it, it, it feels safe when you when a company is so open like that, but also the fact that you know, all of Ned's products are made organic and whole and come from natural ingredients, which is really important, especially when it's dealing with our tribe, because we want things that are natural and we want something that's good for our body, that's cohesive with our body, and that is connecting with us. On top of that, you know, I really love the idea that Ned only sources its products from local farms and communities, which is supporting the local farmers and communities. And that's something about really building on our planet that we have to do more of instead of like going to another country in another place and not really knowing what we're getting and I really believe in that and, and not only that but on top of that Ned energetically infuses all of its products with binarial beats positive affirmations and happy vibes now I mean come on can you can you can you get any better than that if you want to check out Ned and try CBD we have a special offer for the ancient wisdom today audience go to www.helloned.com or enter AW Tribe and check out for 25% off your first order plus free shipping. Uh, that's H E L L O N E D dot com slash AW Tribe to get 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. Hey, Tribe. Do you want to learn shamanism? I want you to learn shamanism because I think it's something that you need to have in your life. Shamanism is not about religion. It's about relationship, relationship to your food, to your body, to yourself, to your community, to your ancestors. Not to mention it gives you a lot of really cool, uh, powerful tools and hacks that you can shift your life and lift your life in ways that you never imagined. I mean, get rid of the obstacles. So if you want to learn shamanism, I have so much to share with you. Come check it out at theshamanschool.com. That's www.theshamanschool.com. I'm waiting for you, and I'm excited. Let's be our best selves. Bye. All right, Tribe. Time to hear from our special guest. Welcome, Marissa Peer. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, okay, so your thoughts on hypnotherapy. I just want to go right into that. Well, hypnotherapy is wonderful. It is actually the the um, grandfather of all therapy and if you want fast results nothing will get you that better than hypnotherapy because hypnotherapy is really designed to find the root what is going on you can go to psychotherapy and talk about your problems but we all know that talking about them while can make you feel very good because you're getting to talk about yourself is very long and we live in such a fast world no one's really got time for that so hypnotherapy is much better I think than any other therapy 
The only downside to it is that a lot of people read a book and say, well, I'm now an expert, and people come in for hypnotherapy with a hypnotherapist who's hasn't really got the training they need. So some of them just read scripts, and some of them just do direct suggestion therapy, which is okay, but they're really missing a point. It's like you getting a top-of-the-range computer and using one bit of it. So hypnotherapy is really designed to uncover the root of your issues and fix it. And so we took what was hypnotherapy created, skipnotherapy created, our TT, which is, it's like hypnotherapy on steroids. It, it's the um, advanced version of hypnotherapy. It's faster, quicker. It's designed to give you results there and then that never, ever wear off. And it is really effective. I mean, I said I'm banging my own drum, but last year we won 13 awards. Our TT keeps winning awards because it is so effective. And even today, we had one of the hospitals calling us and saying, look, we want you to now take this into hospitals, work with doctors. Today, we've been asked to put it in prisons, in hospitals, in schools, and in rehab. So it's, um, it's really exciting where it's going. I, I love that. And, you know, and I'm, I, I believe very strongly when it comes to understanding psychotherapy, you know, what, I, what we look at in shamanism is we look at that, the whole idea of psychotherapy and going to a counselor and so forth. I mean, it's been great, but we think it's a little bit dark ages. Mm -hmm. we, we look at it from the perspective that you're just constantly talking about situations and that talking is just putting you in a circle. You're just going in this circle like on a hamster wheel. Yes, you feel good and you get that feeling of dopamine release and serotonin release and all that going on because you're getting things out and so it's making you happier and lighter. But at the same time, you're not really dealing with the core. You're dealing with taking the leaves off the tree and kind of pruning the tree. And in shamanism, it's all about going to the core. So I'm mm. really excited to hear everything that you're talking about. And also what you were saying in regards to, um, you know, getting that space of those results, which is also very important too, because what I find a lot is that I have a lot of friends who will go to hypnotherapists. They didn't do their due diligence. They didn't uh, find someone who was seasoned. They didn't, you know, do these things and they're like, ah, it's nothing. It doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to me. It didn't do anything, you know, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of people who go through that because they haven't done that really understanding that the person that they went to wasn't seasoned in yeah. what they're doing. I know, and that's why we have a whole directory of, you know, find an expert, find a therapist. And one of the things I love about RTT is it contains quite a big element of shamanism. So we took over 30, th 30 years, I looked at what really works, a lot of inner child work, which is shamanistic, and, and I love that. So it's a great combination of um, NLP, CBT, shamanistic rituals, inner child work, falling in love with yourself. But it's all packaged in a way that makes sense. And I always wanted to simplify that. Einstein said, simplify everything. And my role was simplify therapy. Why make it complicated? Why talk about the frontal lobe cortex, which is, con con which is affecting your neural lobe? People, I don't even understand that. And if they don't understand it, they're not going to benefit. It should be simple, should make sense, and it should be fast. You know, there's no other treatment in the world that says, you're sick? Come along and talk about it. If you're at a doctor and said, you know, I've got um, chronic migraines. I can't get out of bed. They wouldn't go, I come in every Wednesday at four and we'll talk about it. If you're your dentist, I, I've got an infected wisdom tooth. They wouldn't go, well, let's have a discussion every week. They go, hey, turn up. I've got to get that bacteria out of there. 
because it's toxic, but we have toxic beliefs too that you need to remove. And you're correct that some people turn up at a therapist, any kind of therapist that isn't good, but also they don't participate. They don't, I don't have time to play the recording. Of course you have time to play a recording. It's 12 minutes long or, yeah, I know you said I should um, eat fruit instead of donuts. And I, I bought some apples, but then they ran out. So then I went back to the donuts again because they're at work and they're free. <laughs> so <laughs> you do have to make people participate in their recovery. and But we get them excited about that. And they're very willing. We work with people from three years old to 93 years old, and they love it. That's amazing. I want to hear your thoughts on this, because in shamanism, we have this belief that anything that's created is created by you on some level. So usually what people see the, in their life is basically a partition of information that's coming in, and they see that information, how they're thinking, what they're experiencing, based upon the world, based upon their indoctrinations, or their upbringing, or their social situation, or how they observe creation. We also say in shamanism that if someone is sick, for instance, the part of them that says, hey, I don't want to be sick, we believe that's the part that's been told to believe and, and, and say, okay, well, this is not something that I, I choose to have. But a lot of our, our understanding and the way that we, we maneuver is we want to talk to the part that does want to be sick. And so we confront that part and say, why do you want to be sick? Mm. And if someone has cancer, we say, okay, we don't want to talk to the part that wants to live. We want to talk to the part that doesn't want to live. Mm -hmm. And it's really challenging because I, you know, I notice that people have a very hard time with this level of consciousness when we present it shamanically because they think, oh, so you're saying that people want to be sick. People want to, people want to um, you know, have this disease. And I'm saying the world that we live in is not conducive to really living and having homeostasis in the way that we really need to because the part of the mind that's been programmed and told to accept things that it shouldn't accept and that there's another part of the mind that doesn't want to accept it and that's the part that's saying, hey, you're not communicating to me. You're not talking to me. What are your thoughts about that? Well, actually, it's very interesting because we do something almost identical. I created something called Role, Function, Purpose, Intention. Whenever I work with people, even five-year-olds with migraines or eczema or dermatitis, I'll say to them, okay, in hypnosis, we're going to talk to the part that's decided this illness or issue has a role, function, and purpose. And in hypnosis, they go and have a dialogue with it. And just like you say, they talk to the part that says, do you know, it's actually very useful having migraines. Your dad wants you to be a barrister, a lawyer, but as long as you have migraines, you're not going to be a barrister. Um, I had a little boy of five with terrible dermatitis. And when I said to him, because with children, you must speak in their language, darling, I know this is silly, but if the dermatitis was your friend, he called it his sensible skin. He meant sensitive. But if the sensible skin was your friend, and he said, well, Every night I stand with my arms out and mummy puts on cream and wet bandages. And when she does that, she doesn't put any cream on that baby. And there you have it, a little child watching mummy massage the new baby. And going, mummy, can I have that? No, you're a big boy. No, this is just for the baby. Thinks to himself, I want mummy to put cream on me. Now, when you say that to the mind on a regular basis, the mind takes that as a command. You want mummy to put cream on you? Right. I must find a way to get cream on you. The mind doesn't go, 
let me find a logical, helpful, useful way. It just <sighs> says, let me get mummy to put cream on you. Now you've got contact dermatitis. Another little boy was th- asked him the same question. I know this is silly, but if the headaches wanted to help you, because kids of five shouldn't have vascular migraine where they pass out, but he did. If the headaches wanted to be your friend, and as quick as you like, he said, well, I get headaches when mommy and daddy fight, and then when I get a headache, they turn off all the lights, and we lie in the dark, and mommy calls me a little snake, because I lie in the dark and the cold till the headaches go away, and, and they stop fighting. Same thing. So, as you know so well, when we talk to ourselves and say things like, i, I got to find a way of not getting my dad to need me to be a straight-A student. I, I don't like the way my husband looks at me. It's really weird and funny and sexual. I've got to find a way of him stopping looking at me. Your mind goes, I'll do that for you. And now you have someone who becomes chronically obese because no one lusts after your body. Someone who has become an alcoholic and no one expects any, oh, he would have, should have, could have been a track athlete, but you know, the, the drinking, he couldn't do it anymore. And people don't understand they are invested in their illnesses. They have a role and a function. And the minute they talk to that part, they go, do you know, I never got that. Like last week we had a girl on stage, because I train, I'm in LA and I've just trained two classes back to back, teach people to do what I do. And a girl in my class had narcolepsy, kept falling asleep, and she came up on stage. And she was saying that first she discovered her dad was gay. Then she discovered he'd left the family. They thought he was working abroad. Then her sister got murdered, and then her mind went, this this is too much. Mm-hmm. Life is so disappointing. Why don't you just opt out? And the minute we got to that, narcolepsy stopped completely. And you probably know that 70% of people going to A&E have real symptoms. The, the migraines are real. The irritable bowel is real. But they're not caused by a diseased organ. They're caused by diseased thinking. <sighs> and because the thinking is diseased, you can't treat that with pills. I mean, today we had a conversation with who said, doctors are succeeding with 11% of their patients. And even with cancer, we know that... Um, for some people, chemotherapy and radiotherapy is good, but actually it can also create cancer. I mean, I think in 20 years, I'll look back and think that was such a brutal, terrible thing to do to yeah, people. Yeah, Neanderthal like, is what I call it. Yeah, we yeah. look at it like people pulling out people's tooths or doing other crazy things. But if it's the mind that's creating the illness, why are we using drugs to fix that? It doesn't even work. Mm, you know, you. I love you so much. You have... Literally, I mean, I feel like crying right now. You, like everything that I go in the world and share to the tribe about shamanism, the core root of shamanism, how we perceive things, how we understand, so, you know, sociology or anthropology and how we, how we, you know, we garner these ideas that are happening to the body and what's happening on the planet. You know, everyone will say, oh, you're crazy, you're a quack, you're you, like, what are you thinking? Literally, I was in Turkey, and I had this boy, his parents, the father was a doctor, the mother was a dentist. The boy has, um, you know, type 1 diabetes. So I go in, and they're like, can you help our son? And so I go, and I sit down with him, and I start asking him questions, and I notice he keeps looking over at his dad and looking over his mom. So I said, you know what? I go, do you both think you can go for, a, like, a, to a cafe or something and take a little walk and you enjoy the sun, and I'll tape record everything so you can hear what's going on. 
And so I said to him, I said, um, why do you want diabetes? And he goes, he goes, well, can I tell you a story? And I said, yes. And he says, you know, my dad's a doctor and my mom and, you know, they're both overachievers. You know, everything you do has to be perfect in our home. And my brother is captain of the football team. My sister is the head cheerleader. They all got accepted into one of the most best schools, you know, um, Ivy League, you know, they're, they're everything. And then there's me. And I, I don't run as fast as my brother. And I, I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. I, I see myself more of an artistic person. I don't feel like I fit into this family. That, and they keep pushing me to these different people to take all these tests and get all this tutoring. And I, I just, you know, and he's like, and I just didn't, I was so upset and so inside, uh, I didn't know what to do. And then he said, so I decided to make myself sick. And I said, and you're aware of all of this. He said, absolutely. Ever since I've had diabetes, it's been the best thing for me. Mm -hmm. He's like, they lay off of me. They stop putting pressure on me. They stop telling me that I have to meet these expectations. And this is what's going on. So, you know, moving forward, I went to the parents after and I played it to them. And instead of them saying, you know what? Let me look at this structure. Because in shamanism, we look at structures and we look at like what each people are playing in that structure. Instead of them looking at the structure, and looking at how everyone's contributing to that structure, they made it more about them. Mm. They were like, I'm a good parent, you know, I'm a really good parent, Shaman Durek. You know, I don't really, pre- like, I mean, why would he say something like that? Like, you know, that doesn't make sense, you know? And what I, oh, so my thought to you, and what I was saying, and the reason why I'm saying this to you, is because I feel like where we are, because what you're doing and what we're talking about here is the future. Mm. Of, of, of what's going to, what it's, it's, it's us literally going into the medical allopathic world and really retraining the system to understand that there are these very, very, um, how do we say, um, areas that have not been examined, have not been put to the way, the testing that they need to put to, to bring that a part of what it means to create homeostasis in the body. And the thing is, we are above, or how should I say, before our time. So you're bringing out stuff right now that people w- are moving into, but you're a pioneer. And being this pioneer, I am a pioneer. How do you feel about why people have such a difficult time in hearing something completely different from what they were taught to accepting something new when it was the same thing back in the days of Freud and the same of Carl Jung. All of them were doing the same thing, but now everyone has just stopped and said, this is the way it is, this is how it is, these people did those things already, we figured it out, it's closed, it's closed, it's closed, there's no more room for anything else. But there's all this undiscovered territory that we have not covered. Why do you think people are stuck in that space? I think people are a bit bored now with medication. It's like turn up with your presenting problem, which is usually not even the problem. I've got headaches, so let me get pills for that. But the headaches are a symptom. So I think we're coming to understand that actually you, you must participate in your recovery. We, I think we're just a generation that questions more. You know, doctors used to be perfect. Police officers were perfect. You didn't question people who were educated. And the world is becoming less unequal the days of going to university, getting a degree and making it, we realize it's not really like that anymore. 
And people are looking for something else. You know, they've tried Prozac, they've tried Xanax, and they think, well, it's like that song, the drugs don't work, they just make you worse. <laughs> right. I love that song by The Verb. And people are beginning <laughs> to realize song. that, you know, you've got to do wellness. You have a choice, do illness, do wellness. Do wellness, do illness. You are what you think. You know, we, we teach something in our TT, because when I train people to do what I do, we give them a, like, a basis in psychotherapy, a basis in psychology. One of the bases which they love, I call it foreplay. It's the four roles you must play if you don't have attention. So if you're lucky and you're born to a mum and dad who love you and appreciate you and celebrate you, you have a very different life to someone who's like, dad isn't here and, well, I wanted a son, you were my third daughter or for whatever reason, two very, very academic, busy parents, because that's just as dangerous to a child as parents who are not there. I mean, we've been working with the school system in San Francisco where they've got, s they had five suicides in a year, and these are children from high-functioning parents who expect a lot. So foreplay, the four way ways you belong. The first one is to be sick. If you go out into the world and think, wow, I'm not sure they love me, I'm not even sure I matter, because we need to be significant, Getting sick is the next best thing to being loved. Suddenly someone is mopping your brow. The mum that you thought didn't care is all over town making gluten-free cookies, buying special cream. Do and kids go, well, look at that. I didn't think you loved me, but clearly I'm important because now I'm going to see this expert, this specialist, or maybe you don't care. But the doctors and nurses care. They rub my brow. They... they, they tell me little funny stories, they put a needle in, they ask me if I'm okay, I must matter after all. So getting sick is so effective for children who don't feel they belong that they become adults or hypochondriacs and they don't even know how to give it up because it meets all their needs. You don't love me, but you look after me. I'm not loved, but I am significant. I've got all these experts here and they don't want to give it up. The second way you belong is to be brilliant. I mean, if you think if you lived in a tribe and you could spear a buffalo better than anyone else, you are indispensable. You could build a thatched little dwelling better than anyone else, you were indispensable. So that character always has to be good at everything, very competitive. They go on holiday, they're always ringing the office because their belief is if you don't love me, but you might need me, I'm indispensable. The third one is to be the carer. And they look out at the world and think, hmm, I wish I could have some love and kind. I know, I'll be a nurse. I'll <laughs> give love and kindness. <laughs> and the percentage of nurses and therapists and carers who give what they want to get, but they, they, you know, psychiatrists have a high burnout rate. I was talking this morning to a teacher about the suicide rate in people in the caring profession because they give, but they don't receive. Mm -hmm. Yep. And a lot of people like us, they, we just think, i got to go and heal the world. But, you know, I don't stop for lunch. I live on junk food. I see too many clients a day. I wake up and I'm worried about them all. And that isn't balance. You can't give if you don't receive. And the third group, usually the last child, looks around and goes, well, all these roles are gone. There's the carer. There's the brilliant one. There's a sick one. And they become the rebellious, difficult one. They bang on their, the table with a spoon when they're two. And they're still doing it when they're 52. And they often become drug addicts or deeply rebellious. And it's all because we no longer live in a world where we think belong. You know, we were tribal people. And in tribes, I knew that you were like me and I was like you. And it took a whole tribe to raise a village. And tribe had 
great rituals, like the rites of passage. They were incredible rituals. All parents should do that. Um, Aboriginal rituals where they prepared a child to grow up and go into the world and be a man. They didn't go, well, it's dangerous out there and let me drive you to school and I need to make your dinner to make sure you're eating properly. We now have a nation of 30-year-olds that still live at home that can't grow up. All these snowflakes children because they are overprotected. But the, when you could look at the world and go, you know what, that foreplay, I was the sick one. I can see that, but I don't live with these people. I don't need to play that part. Because I say to all my clients, you know what, you play the only part you've ever known, and then you make that part your own. Then you don't know how to get a new part. But only do they understand their part. They go, my sister, I freaking hated her competitive overachiever, but I suddenly can see that she was as compelled into her part as I was into my part because my parents weren't there. My mum was depressed, my dad's an alcoholic, or my mum was always working, working, working. My mum was always dumped by men and always looking for a new one. And you learn what you live. But the I've always believed that understanding is power, especially understanding in hypnosis. And people walk around going, I, I don't know why I do this, I guess... I'm just messed up. With us, they go, wow. You know, I never realized that seeing my dad look at porn, go look at her, she wants it, and I'm thinking, I don't want anyone to look at me like that. Now I know why I'm a beast. Now I know why I'm anorexic. I saw stuff with the mind of a child and interpreted it with the mind of a child with not a lot of logic, and I'm still acting as if I'm that child. Don't look at me. Don't expect anything of me. Don't hurt me. Don't reject me. And and they think, but I, I don't have to play that part anymore. It's incredibly liberating. And that's what RTT does. It liberates people from their illnesses. It frees them and it empowers them. Mm. Just like shamanism does. Yes. And there's, you know, and as you're talking, ev a lot of the things that you're saying we have in shamanism. Of course. Like the rites of passage. I love that. Um, ancestors, connect, staying connected mm. to your ancestors. Yeah. Like I tell people, you should have an ancestor altar in your home or where a place where you remember your ancestors, you know, connecting into that space, connecting into who, what roles are the people playing in your family tribe? Mm. Who's your father? Who's your, like I had a situation where I wa worked with this whole family and when I sat them all down and I sat down with the kids, one of the daughters was so upset and I looked at her and I said, you were so upset. And she says, yes, because you're talking about everyone has these roles. And I feel like my mom and dad think because they're adults that we don't have a role as well and that we're born into this family. And so when we actually sat everyone down to look at like the, the what part do they play in that tribe, we realized that the little girl was the protector of the tribe. Hmm. And so and then her father started crying because he said every time he would make a decision to bring someone in the house or make a business decision, his little girl would walk up to him and go, no, daddy, no. And then he would just like go like, you know, oh, you know, go back to playing and doing your thing. And she would go, no, daddy, no, that's not a good person. No, daddy, no, don't make that decision, daddy. And then go back and play. And realizing that he ended up going into business with this person and he got taken for his money, you know. And it was like they didn't realize that every single person is playing a certain role so that they all could be in a cooperative, cohesive space to grow and to thrive. And what's interesting about what you're saying, which is so poignant and so important, because 
you know, we have this understanding that like a lot of times when people are sick and they invite me to come into hospitals, they invite me to come in places and so forth. Sometimes I'll go in the hospital and I'll look at the person and I'll be like, so you're doing this so you can get more love. Of course. And they're like, no. And I'm like, uh, yes. And let's look at what that is. And once they see it, I go, you could get love from being successful, being healthy, being this. But what's they, what the thing is, it's always cutting out the middleman. It's cutting out that part of, I don't know, I can't. I ca you know, it's that, it's that in between where they don't want to merge the part of their truth to the part that's the lie that they're getting to get something. Now, I want to get your thoughts on this. In shamanism, we have this belief that the world is the way it is because we were taught in this world from the moment we came to earth that our creator could dispose of us, could get rid of us, could hurt us, could throw us into hell, could just, you know, why are we here, abandon us. So we've created, so in shamanism, we believe that there is, that the, the things that everyone is focusing on as far as the social political issues and all the things that are happening in the world from men versus women and gay versus straight and this thing and that thing, these are all symptoms of a much bigger, more deeper rooted um, uh, sickness and illness that's taking place and it's coming from the mind. And when I died and went to the other side when I was 27 years old, if you didn't know, I, I, I flatlined and I died. I lost my kidneys and went into anaphylactic shock and died. I um, asked all the questions, why do we suffer? Why do we go through pain? Why do we go through this? Why do we have war? Why do we have that? And the answer they gave me on the other side was malfunction in thinking. And they said it very clearly. It was malfunction in thinking. Every question I had, they ended it with the same thing, malfunction in thinking. And when I was on the other side, it wasn't like I was like, oh, debating it. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And the interesting thing is, is that so I started to think about it from the shamanic point of view. In shamanism, if you believe that your creator is against you, that's why in shamanism we, we celebrate creation through dance and ceremony and drumming and, you know, and ritual. We honor the trees, we honor the sun, we honor the moon, we honor women, we honor men, we honor the blades of grass, the ocean, the river. Everything is our, is our family. Everything is, uh, is the spirit. And so we observe creation through loving what creation created. But what we see is in balance is this idea that creation has abandoned, hurt, or can dismiss you. So human beings naturally begin to do that to themselves by destroying their own resources, you know, killing their own kind, justifying their choices to buy things and put things in their lives that are poisonous, destructive, and even volatile to their system, all while not knowing that the sickness of this comes from this deep part of their brain that is holding on to this belief that, that life and the value of life is not recognized because that if it was, they would have came into a world where they were loved unconditionally. What are your thoughts on that? Well, one of the things about the mind, which is fascinating to me as a therapist, is that we are wired to recreate what is familiar, even if it's very bad. Because if you are never loved, if you go to an orphanage to adopt a child who's four and they've never been loved, never been held, they have attachment disorder. They, they don't even like being held. It's like trying to pick up a feral cat as opposed to one who was taken as a kitten <laughs> and has slept on your lap all its life. So the mind is wired to go back to what's familiar. People find that very odd, but even if wealth, if you have never had money and you win the lottery, 
you have a 70% chance of going bankrupt within three years, no matter how much money you win. And you see, years ago, we survived by going for what was familiar. I live in a tribe, and I don't think well, I'll go for a wonder and I'll go off on the Serengeti, find another tribe, because they might not like me. You know, nature is very clever. You'll see two-year-olds become the terrible. Go, I don't want that yogurt. It's not pink. It's got lumps in it. I don't want that cup, I don't want that spoon, I want the same cup, the same spoon, the same yogurt. Because we survived by only going for what was familiar. I, I recognize that plant, I recognize that person, and familiar kept us alive. And unfamiliar was very, very dangerous. I mean, we weren't even allowed to pick our partners, our parents chose them. Women were given away by their father, they decided what was safe. And so we have this hard wiring that says, go to what is familiar and avoid what's unfamiliar. But it isn't logical like that might, so if you um, get attention from pain and that becomes familiar, you'll, you'll always go for pain. If you've been rejected your whole life, you'll find people who reject you. And it's not because you want to be destructive, it's because of this hard wiring that said familiar makes you safe, unfamiliar makes you unsafe. and. You know, we, I see that with money blocks. You know, one of the things we train all our graduates on is money blocks. And if you see your father going, well, we can't find the money. I, I don't know how to get the money. We can't get the money. You know, nobody finds money. You, you monetize a gift you have or a talent. But when a child of four says, mommy, can I have that toy? They go, oh, I can't find the money. I don't know where the money's coming from. We're never going to get the money. There isn't enough money. You form a belief. Oh, money is something I can't find, I can't get. Whereas if you're born with different beliefs, you think differently. One of our graduates had a great problem asking for money. And of course, she was describing her father who um, had his own little shop, worked six and a half days a week, and every Sunday would lie on the sofa with a headache, going, that's the price you pay for working for yourself. There's no time off, no sick pay. He's got to suck it up. So when she decided to become a therapist, up came these thoughts. Oh my God, I'm working for myself. No sick pay, no holiday pay. And we had to get rid of all of that so she could start to charge. And now she's making... She makes in a month what she made in a year. She's got her own radio show, her own newspaper column. But the mind believes it's protecting you by having you avoid what is unfamiliar. You know, we used to run away from a saber-toothed tiger. Mm -hmm. Now we run away from our inbox. We run <laughs> away, oh my God, <laughs> I've got so much to do. And the mind has a belief, if you feel fear, run away. Because in primitive times, what scared you? A tiger, a snake, a person, and you ran. And we still have the one that says, oh, I need to run away from my inbox. I need to run away from this pressure. I need to run away from my problems. But it doesn't work. I need to run away from this relationship. But I just find another one that's exactly the same. Then I run away from that. And, and how you get around that is to accept. It's an absolute fact. You are hardwired to return to what's familiar and run away from what's unfamiliar. That's a fact. But here's another fact. You can make anything you like familiar. You can make self-belief, praising yourself, believing in yourself, earning money, super familiar. You know, it's a bit like, you know, when you're a kid, going to the bathroom wasn't familiar. Someone had to help you do that, but no one still says, well, I can't really do that, or feeding yourself wasn't familiar. We allow ourselves to opt out. Well, 
you know, I come from a family of depressives. Everyone in my family's got the alcoholic gene. No one in our family went to college, and we, we use these excuses. And we do destroy what is not familiar. That here's the thing with lottery winners. Here's the kind of people who want love. The minute they get it, they destroy it. Sandra Bullock's husband said, you know, I was given the world on a plate, and I just messed it all up because I didn't think I was worth it. And that's another thing we do to destroy the planet, to destroy what we have. We believe, I, I'm not worth it. And if you think you're not worth it, you give it all away. It's what I call the self-destructiveness of talent, the Amy Winehouses of the world, the Philip Seymour Hoffmans, the Whitney Houstons, who have an amazing talent, mm. Faith Ledgers. But they didn't earn it. So they, if they didn't earn it, they can't value it. And then they destroy it. And we do destroy what we don't value. Mm -hmm. you know, that's happening with the planet. We take so much for granted. Electricity, running water. You go to tribes. And they, when I was in Zimbabwe, one of the shamans there said to me, um, is it really true that people in your country starve themselves? I was so embarrassed. I had to say, yeah. He goes, but do they really get food? And then vomit it up. I said, yes, he went, why? And I'm like, well, it's an illness. But they couldn't even recognize in Zimbabwe <coughs> how you would deny yourself food or eat that food and make yourself sick because they respect food so much because they haven't got enough. They respect utilities like water because it's not on tap. You know, we live the life of kings, and yet we really have no idea. And then when you go to somewhere like downtown Jamaica or Mexico and see people, you think, oh my God, I'll never complain again a day in my life. But then we forget and we start complaining. And I would say to all my clients, you know what your problem? It's someone else's fantasy dream come true. And what would you have given 20 years ago for this, this kid that keeps you awake at night, this partner that leaves their dirty laundry on the floor? You'd have given anything for that problem. Because I, I really believe if you can vibrate at gratitude, you're more respectful. You would never throw litter in the street or leave the taps running or leave the lights on, especially, you know, when I, I used to work a lot of boot at a lot of boot camps, getting people to eat better. And because they weren't paying for these villas, they all left the lights on, the air conditioning on. It's, like it's really disrespectful to do that because you're not in that gratitude where I just take everything and not give anything back. And I think when you tune in more, it's easier for you to understand that if you give, you receive. If you receive, you give. You can't just take, but you can't also just give. I mean, w so many people think, well, I'm spiritual. I shouldn't charge. I shouldn't say no. And that's not true. You have to give and receive. It's like giving and receiving a breath. If you just try to only breathe in and keep taking, that doesn't work. And if you just breathe out and keep giving, well, that doesn't work either. You have to breathe in, breathe out, give, receive. Then you have balance. And really respecting the planet, but also believing you're worth it allows people not to destroy the great life that we really have. Because I think life is amazing and beautiful, but mm -hmm. you do have to kind of honor it. Absolutely. And my, my question um, is something you said about the money situation. So if I give you a scenario, can you tell me like what you think? Sure, that, yeah? I'd love to. I'm going to give my own scenario. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was raised in a family where my father was very wealthy. So you're talking millions and millions of dollars in the bank, but always still 
complaining about everything. So I would like I would go to his office and look and see his checkbook, and it would be like, "Dad, you're a multimillionaire. Why are you complaining about the electricity? Why are you complaining about these things?" So that goes on, and I said to him, "You know, if you continue doing this one day, I feel like you're going to make all the money go away because mm. you're connecting. Like you trained in shamanism with uh, with my great grandmother, you know what happens when you do this energy. So you're going to make everything go away. And so one day, he was bidding on a job. He didn't have the right bids." And then he got sued by all these companies, and he literally got sued something like twelve million or thirteen million or something like that. And he literally had to file bankruptcy because by, uh, he he paid the first half, and then another company came in and sued him for more millions. And then he he was like, I have to file bankruptcy. He lost everything. He lost his jet. He lost his cars. He lost his house. He lost the summer house. He lost all of these things. I watched all of it. And my family went into depression. My dad was like always telling me stories like, well, you know, if I was a person who was white, I would have killed myself with a gun, but I'm not, so I'm not gonna do it. I'm like, okay, dad, great, whatever. So I went, I've never worked, I never worked at all at that time. So I decided to go and get a job at like two stores and I made my money. I took half my check, gave it to my dad and then took the other check and the left of the money and gave it to myself, of course, to do the things I needed to do. And ever since that part of my life, I've always been independent. What would you say to someone who has that type of situation? You're about your father or about yourself? About myself. Well, what you learned at a very early age is that money doesn't make you happy. Your father was never happy. And if you look at that, you think, hmm, he's not happy. Money doesn't make you happy. It, it's a burden, and therefore I don't want it. And therefore you're wired to reject it. So... Any child will look at a situation and assess it, and you, you have to learn what you live. It's a, no different to looking at a mum whose parents always fighting, thinking, oh, that's what love is, you always fight, I don't want that. My mum and dad are stuck together, I, I never want love, because it hurts, but whenever you see a parent complaining about money, complaining about electricity, even they've got a lot, you form a belief that, first of all, there's never enough, there's never going to be enough money, so they, Pursue money believing you'll never get enough, but they also have an underlying belief which it doesn't make you happy. If it doesn't make you happy, what's the point of pursuing it? Because it doesn't make you happy. And then you lose it, which makes you even more unhappy. So a young child will form, look at those three and form a belief I don't want money. I don't, it's not going to make anything better. It's going to make it worse. And once you do that, you become wired to actually reject it to get rid of it, to not attract it, to give it to other people, just like the lottery winners who form this belief. You know, when I went to school, my brother went to a paid school because he was the boy, and my parents saw him as the bright one. They didn't see me as the bright one at all. And he went to a private school, and he would come home, and he would do math, and his math book would say, you have 11 companies, and you sell four. How many have you got left? Well, we know the answer is seven, but... You haven't got my math book said you have six bananas and you give three away and you got left. Well, the answer is three, but I've given away my equity and I've got nothing left. My brother's sold his equity and he's got that left. And I remember now looking that even at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, the way you are taught maths, you give away your apples, you sell your companies, that the whole system is geared towards making rich people richer and poor people poorer. 
that whole education where you reward achievement and not effort. I mean, this little kid works 10 times as hard as this one who gets the prize just for achievement. And we're really educating people in the wrong way. And of course, what you saw with your father would make you reject it because you believe that it, it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't make anything better. You know, I've worked with many millionaires' kids who said, you know, I said to my dad, please park the Rolls Royce. I, I don't want to be the only rich kid in school. I'm embarrassed by it. <laughs> oh, my God. I worked with a famous rock star who said that. You know, my parents said it was going to gold Rolls Royce with a sushi box. And I, I was horrified. I had to throw that sushi in the bin, walk the last bit, and pretend they were poor. And I never wanted people to come to my house because they go, oh, my God. Your living room is bigger than my apartment. And then, you know, half the kids at school were the, were the cleaner, the gardener. I hated it. And then other kids who are poor and say, I could never have people to my house because I was poor. But there are many rich kids who are embarrassed by wealth, um, humiliated by it. And then this particular rock star, I think she was making 14 million a year within five years. And she had no money, not a penny to her name because of this belief that I must get rid of it all, because it, it separates you, it isolates you. You never know who your friends are. That's people have, if, I, if you're rich, you never know who your friends are. One of our grads recently was saying that her parents used to say, don't tell anyone we have money. Never mention we have a safe. Someone will break in with a gun and we'll all get robbed. And of course, when you say that to a child, don't tell anyone about money. Pretend we're poor, which is what your father going to pretend we don't have it. The mind says, you don't want this. No, you don't want that. Well, then, of course, it will get rid of it. Because mm. your mind's set up to do what you tell it. When you tell it, this money is a problem. I don't know who my friends are. Maybe someone's going to come and rob me. Your mind goes, let's just get rid of all of that. It's not making you happy. And when you say, oh, my God, that last person that I loved ripped out my heart and stabbed it. it would kill me if it happened again the mind goes I'll just make you the biggest bitch in the world no one's going to do that to you again or when a guy says if another woman took my money and ran off it would kill me the mind would kill you well I'll make sure you never have another girlfriend you have to be very careful what you tell your mind because it it doesn't stop to think is this useful to you or good or even it just lets it in when you say my job is killing me it goes killing you why don't I give you a lovely ulcer so you can't go to that job that's killing you and now you're not going to be killed. You're going to be poor at home on the sofa moaning about your health, but you're not going to be killed. And it seems very illogical, but that's because the mind is not a logical mind. It's a feeling mind. Mm -hmm. Your feelings are the most real thing you have. What you felt when your father complained was confusion. All this money doesn't make you happy. But for a child, there's only one more resolution then. Don't have the money. Wow. That sums up my life. Of course. Because every time, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, friend buys me a Rolex watch. I'm like, nah, I don't want that. I'd rather just have a nice cup of tea with you and talk and share and connect. And, you know, every time I go out to dinner with friends, I take care of the whole table. I'm always, my friend's like, oh, I have this new thing. I pour money into their stuff. Oh, I have a new project. I'm pouring money into that. I had a house in Hollywood Hills. I felt so embarrassed to let people come mm. to my house. I was like, oh my God, people are going to come to my house. They're going to see what I have and da 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 da. You know what? I know what to do. Like a friend came over and was like, oh my God, I love this painting. You got an Art Basel. I was like, I'll send it to your house. You can have it. Giving it all away. Yeah. I just keep giving it away, mm. you know? And 
my sister's the exact same way. And of course. It's interesting what you're saying because it's really giving me, and I'm really glad the tribe is listening, it's giving me a, a deeper understanding of, of that. And, you know, and something we say in, in also in shamanism, the way we look at the ego, as you know, a lot of people have this whole thing like kill your ego, get rid of your ego, blah, 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 blah. In shamanism, we say that the ego is your paperweight. It's there to support whatever narrative you choose to buy into. So we say if the ego, if you say, oh, you know, uh, I'm always dating bad women, the ego goes, okay, great. So I'll bring more bad women to you. So like we, and then so in shamanism, what we do is like we can talk to the ego and we'll say, hey, ego, are they holding on to a belief that keeps them in this situation? And what you just did for me is help me to look at like, yeah, there's this thing in this 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 thing inside of me that I'm that I'm clearing that needed to hear that because that's why I threw that at you because mm -hmm. I was thinking it was so important because growing up as a kid, we were the richest kids in the neighborhood. Everyone came to our house and every time someone walked in our house, they're like, Oh my god, you guys have the most big beautiful house. Everything like you oh my god, I can't believe you guys live like this. When we were in school, I used to have a B and W. I said like park my car somewhere. I always had a fancy car. I would tell my, fr I would park it not where everyone else was parking their cars. I'd park it down the street and walk to school. And then kids would be like, how did you get here? And I was like, oh yeah, I got here. I'm good. You know, and I was always hiding it, but at the same mm. time feeling embarrassed by it at the same time. Do you want me to get rid of that for you now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get rid of it now. You might as well. So what, you, you've done something very interesting. You've now understood why, but the next bit is to get rid of it. A lot of people say, no, I know why I drink, but I still drink. I know why I lose my temper. I still lose my temper. So the next bit is to get rid of it. So let's, we'll only take about five minutes. You've got five minutes. Of course. You? So first of all, I want you to close your eyes and just go and find that little boy. Find that little boy going into his dad's office and dad is moaning about the heating and the little boy is, is looking at that and making assumptions because... Kids can only make assumptions. My dad is moaning about money because it doesn't make him happy. And now the little kid's deciding at a level he's not even aware of that he doesn't want money and he's going to reject it. And now I want you to see that little kid where people come into the house and go, oh my God, your whole living room is bigger than my entire house. And I want you to look at that little kid and understand something. When you are born, your driving need on the planet is to survive. And how you survive is you find connection and you avoid rejection. If you connect to people, you'll survive. And if they reject you, you'll die. In tribal times, that was true. Every time those kids walk through your door and say, oh my God, you are disconnecting because you're not like them and they're not like you. And you're feeling rejected. You're feeling disconnected and rejected. They might admire you, but they're also not like you. And if they're not like you, you're not like them. And now you can't connect to them and they can't connect to you. And that is terrifying for a child. And the only way you can connect is to be like them, which is to get rid of your money. And then you'll be connected and not rejected. So I want you to put your arms around that little boy. And I want you to say to him, I'm your parent now. I'm your parent now. And you have made it. And you have made it. And you are so connected. And you are so connected. And you can't be rejected. And you can't be rejected. You could when you were little. You could when you were little. But not now. But not now. You don't need to give your stuff away to be connected. 
You don't need to give your stuff away to be connected. You don't need to hide your wealth to be connected. You don't need to hide your wealth to be connected. You're like people. You're like people. And people are like you. And people are like you. And when you show people how to monetize your gift. When you show people how to monetize your gift. Which is what you're doing. Which is what you're doing. You show them how to monetize their gift. You show them how to monetize their gift. And that's why you're here. And that's why you're here. To show people how to monetize their gift. To show people how to monetize their gift. And your gift allowed you to do good in the world. And your gift allows them to do good in the world. And that makes you even more connected. And that makes you even more connected. And even less rejected. And even less rejected. You live in my world now. You live in my world now. I'm becoming a loving parent to you. I'm becoming a loving parent to you. You're safe with me. You're safe with me. You can enjoy all the rewards. You can enjoy all the rewards. And all the wealth. And all the wealth. And all the connection. And all the connection. I've created a place for you. I've created a place for you. In my heart. In my heart. In my home. In my home. And in my life. In my life. And I'm upgrading you into my world. And I'm upgrading you into my world. And that's not your dad's world. And that's not your dad's world. It's my world. It's my world. It's a safe place. It's a safe place. It's a better place. It's a better place. And I want you to feel that little boy just hovering just above your head. The little boy who was so aware of being disconnected and not fitting in and not being the same. And when you're a kid, it's scary to not be the same. When you're an adult, it's kind of exciting to go, oh, I like being a little different because you can be different yet the same. You're a human being. We're all the same. I want you to feel that little boy just merging down and dropping down and literally merging into you. So that little boy who lived in a world that was very confusing, who was disconnected by wealth, I want you to feel him merging into you. And in your world, wealth connects you because you show more people that it's possible you are here to show people. It's possible to monetize a gift, to monetize a talent, and to allow other people to do that. And the more people you can help by being wealthy, the better it is. And the more you give that away, the more you're going, no, it's not for me. It is for you. It is for you. It's your destiny. And you can embrace it and welcome it. So I want you to feel that little boy taking up residence in you, living in you, being in you, and knowing that the minute you do that, you can't go back and be that little boy who had to get rid of wealth, just like his father did. His father did it unconsciously. You've been doing it consciously. But now you can't go back, not even in your daydreams. So I want you to do one more thing. And... This is called neuroplasticity at work. It's changing the neurons instantly. I want you to go to the little boy who walked into the office and didn't understand the dad's dissatisfaction with money. And I want you to say out loud, that's not me. That's not me. And that can never be me. And that can never be me. Ever again. Ever again. For the rest of my long rest of my long gorgeous gorgeous wealthy life wealthy life because because finish that sentence for me
because I'm a beautiful, loving, nurturing being who loves to support people and show them what's possible. And in order to show them what's possible, I need to stand in the truth of who I am. And so therefore I am in the truth of who I am, sharing them the way for them to make way for their life so that they can have joy and happiness by being prosperous and wealthy and feeling connected to everyone in all. Now I want you to see the kid who hid his BMW. And I want you to go, that isn't me. That isn't me. That'll never be me. That'll never be me. Ever again. Ever again. For the rest of my abundant, wealthy, joyous life. For the rest of my abundant, wealthy, and joyous life. Because. Because I have a beautiful heart, and I love everything that I've created, and honor it, and appreciate it, and value it, and am grateful for it. And knowing that another person has poured into my being so that I can pour into another person's being so that we can all be abundantly living and feeling good inside. And finally, the, the young man who was embarrassed by his house in the Hollywood Hills, who gave away the paintings. I want you to go, that's not me. That's not me. That will never be me. That will never be me. Ever again. Ever again. Not even for a second. Not even for a second. Because. Because. I believe in having a space where I can ground my energy and feel secure and to be able to bring people in so that they can feel loved and nurtured in my home so I can cook for them from my garden and create a beautiful space for them to commune and share in thoughts and beauty and love and laughter and sensuality and play and so that they can feel filled up in their beings to know that they can create the same for themselves. And finally, I want you to imagine that when people look at you, and look at what you've created, you give them permission to create it. In the same way, when we look at a world-class athlete, we go, wow, that's a human being running that fast, jumping that high. I can do that. If Frank Sinatra said, you know, I shouldn't really sing because my brother's a plumber and that might make him feel bad, then that would be a, a terrible sight. That's like giving his gift back. If Barbara Streisand said, well, I should just be a nail technician because... My voice might make other people feel bad. She was given that voice. Frank was given his voice. The athlete was given his gift to show the world what humans can do. And you creating wealth shows people, well, they can do it too. They can do it. I can do it. So I want you to step into that. And the minute you understand that you having wealth allows other people to have wealth, it because people think, if I have more, someone else has less. no. There's enough wealth for everyone. It's very unevenly distributed, but there is enough wealth on the planet for everyone. You having more does not mean someone else has less. It's not a cake where if you take a bigger slice, someone has to have a smaller one. It's there. You wouldn't go, if I take in, in too much air, you're not going to have enough air. There's enough for everyone. And you having more allows other people to have more, but you giving it away is rejecting it, not appreciating it, and being your father. You're not your father. You're you. And any time you have any fleeting thought, I want you to stop and go, that's not me, because. And the minute you do that, your life will change forever. It already has. So you can now welcome it, embrace it, accept it, honor it, appreciate it, share it, but also keep it. You can share some, keep some. It's a bit like, you know, people in, in Auschwitz that gave all their food away died. The only ones who lived were the ones who shared it. If you went into 
a concentration camp with your kid and gave your kid all your food, you'd be dead in six months. No one else gave them food, but if you gave them just enough and yourself a bit more, you could survive enough that they would survive too. And there's a great metaphor in that. It's like putting your own mask on on the plane first. You can't nourish others by failing to nourish yourself. And you can't help others grow financially by giving all your stuff away. So knowing it, living it, being it, realizing already that little kid is not, you will never be you. And now you can achieve, you can receive huge abundance. Appreciate it, enjoy it, keep some, share some. It's all yours. Just open your eyes. Mm, that was amazing. Good. I mean, I feel completely different. Most people do when you do wealth wiring. Even millionaires, they go, wow, I feel different. No, I feel 100% different, like a complete different person. Good. Than the way that my brain is thinking right now. Mm. You're such a gift. You're so amazing. Oh, that was so powerful. Mm. Well, the simplest things often are powerful. People have this belief that powerful is complicated, but it's really not. It's incredibly simple. And very easy to share. Because we're the same. We have gifts. But we've got to share them. Otherwise, what's the point? I know? agree 100%. My motto in life is everything that I am, I pour into you. Because mm -hmm. nothing belongs to me. Sure. And I get poured back into. See, I love Wayne Dye. He said, don't die with your music still inside you. And he knew what he was talking about. It's so powerful. Yes. So, um, what do you... what When, you know... Wait, 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 let me just let me skip. I'm just gonna. I'm just so coming out of I this. I know. It take uh, a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like blah 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 blah. And by the way, you know, all of your listeners, we have some wealth wiring audios. They can get them completely free. We That's have, what I was asking. Yeah, that we was have audios name. for wealth blocks, love blocks, relationship, health blocks. Just go to marissapeer.com. And they're all completely free. Oh, it's amazing. And if they want to find someone that does what I do, we have therapists all over the world we, we've, we, we've just trained in LA we're going to Australia next month so if you go to com, find a therapist you can find someone but if you want to learn how to do it if we could certainly teach you you'd love it you can come to rapidtransformationaltherapy.com and when we do our next training in LA in March you should come along I will yeah you would love it but you know it's so funny that you said that because my, my grandmother just was chiming in and she's like, this would be really great to add along with it your, with our, with, because yeah. the shamanism goes so in sync. And then having that go into that, mm. that's so powerful. Yeah. And if you want to find out more, just go to rapidtransformationaltherapy.com. You can find out how to do it because it, it, it doesn't require any background in therapy, any um, understanding. It just understands. It requires one thing, which is a calling to help people. This is such a gift. I mean, I just got the greatest gift, more valuable than, than anything that you could be in. I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, knowledge is... is oh, is, it's a huge gift. It's a huge yeah. gift. Sure. You know, and I always find it, I, I always find it fascinating because, you know, I was saying to a lot of people, a lot of people will get mad at me and say like, well, you know, you charge uh, so much money to have, you know, someone to have a session with you. And I was like, oh, Okay. And I said, I also do a lot of these other things as well, too, pro bono things and helping people to have sessions so that they who can afford things as well. But at the same time, I'll get like these millionaires who will come in and they'll try to bargain me. 
And I'll say to them, did you bargain your Ferrari? Did you bargain your house? Did you bargain your, like, do you not see that you're, the very thing that you're putting money into and in other things, you're not valuing the knowledge mm. and the information. And it's one of the biggest gifts we can because I always say that knowledge is true power. You know, and what I heard you say, which was really beautiful, was the clarity, the understanding is the power. Mm, always understanding is power. But understanding in RTT is, is not only powerful, it's empowering, it's liberating, it's freeing. And people say the same thing to me, you charge a lot. I do, but I also train people to do what I do, and they charge a lot less. So while I charge a lot, because I'm not really available, my the people I train charge anything from $250 upwards. And a lot of them do pro bono work too. They say, I love this so much that I see three people a week completely free of charge, or three people a month. But I couldn't see those three a month free of charge if I wasn't seeing... 15 others and charging them the full price. And, and my clients are very wealthy. Often go, I pay you more. I go, well, if you want to, you can put money into a fund. And then that allows me to train more people free. Yes. So it's it, I like that balance. And my very wealthy clients, sometimes I see very wealthy ones. And I go, look, I'm not going to tell you how much it is. You can write a check out for what you think it is. And if it's more, that just goes into a fund. And we have bursaries now. We're, we're training people, particularly in Africa, we're trying to cha train people to work with refugee children and help them. And so I like that balance. And so when your wealthy clients are bargaining down, you should say, I think we should bargain up. Why don't you pay more than the fee so someone who hasn't got any money can also have a session with me? And they like they, that makes them stop and think. So when they bargain down, bargain them up and go, actually, it's more for you because mm. you have more and you need to share that out. But um, I've had that too, people turning up with private jets saying, oh, it's a bit expensive. Yes. It's like there's a great joke about somebody who goes to buy some foie gras. It goes a lot of money, and they went, mm, for the for the, the goose that gave up, gave <laughs> sorry. He goes, that, that foie gras is expensive. He said, for the fish you gave up, your her babies, you could eat them on a cracker? Not so much. <laughs> 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 I, I thought that was very funny. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, time is money. And, um, you know, your people, what people buy is something that makes them feel good. You know, we'll buy anything that makes us feel good. We'll buy more expensive products, designer products. We'll pay a lot of money for an iPhone. We could get a cheap phone because it makes us feel good. And when you understand that you're buying something that makes you feel good, then if your people are coming to you to get healed from an illness or an emotional issue or a financial block or a love block and you can give them freedom that is kind of priceless you know what what are you buying here you're buying feeling good what else is there if there isn't feeling good feeling okay feeling mm -hmm. ill feeling stressed feeling trauma or feeling good it's like all those songs it's a new day it's a new dawn, and I'm feeling good. That's my favorite song. Yeah, is it? Isn't that funny? I was tuning into that. Yeah, it's Nina Simone. Mm. It's a new day. It's a new dawn. It's a new life for, for me. And I'm the feeling good. good. Well, that's your song, because today it's a new life for you, a life of wealth and abundance. Now you can feel good about it. Yes. Oh, so amazing. So, do you, so, so people can... Go and train with you. They can do all of these things. Yeah. I mean, you are such a gift on our planet. I'm so happy you're alive. Thank you. I mean, it is lovely. I must admit, I do feel very excited that 
you know, not many women have created therapy. That was all Freud, and they're all Ericksonian, all men. Yeah. <laughs> and there aren't any women that have really created a brand new model of therapy. And it's in schools now. We have schools that want it. We have prison systems and juvenile detentions that want it. We have a lot of rehabs that like it. Because, you know, addicts, their biggest thing is their disconnect is why they love going to AA, because there they feel connected. And we are able to massively put a dent in the relapse rate. We have an anti-bullying program we give away to all schools, and they all say, wow, you know, this is really helping the kids that were doing the bullying as much as the bullied, because no kid wakes up and goes, oh, my life is great. Who can I diminish today? The bullies need a lot of help, and... We love the fact that, as well as RTT, we have I'm Enough and movement. And by making every kid in school feel they're enough, they, they don't need to bully. And it's really exciting that little old me is able to have that impact on the world. You so are, it's yeah. wonderful. And I'm so honored. And I'm Thank so you. grateful with your presence. I'm, I'm very happy that I got to go to your house for the gathering with everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean... So many people right now all over the world are listening to, tuning in to this share and like just completely so excited and ready to jump into RTT. Good. Yeah. Wow. So I'm, I'm really excited. I'm so thankful for well, thank you. Well, thank you. Are you on Instagram or anything? That yeah. We're on Instagram. Um, Marissa Peer Therapy and I'm Enough are both my Instagram feeds. So Marissa Peer Therapy mm. and I'm Enough. We're everywhere, Twitter, Facebook. But yeah, we're on Instagram. I love it. I love it. And I'm glad that you also brought up the, the whole thing about uh, neuroplasticity because uh, in shamanism, we have that belief as yeah. well, too. So we're really, it's amazing. I'm so happy. Thank you so much for being and here You're so us. welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Hey, Tribe. That was amazing. Having Marissa Peer in the share today has really helped us to think about a lot of things, you know? For instance, I mean, first of all, let's just talk about the rapid transformational therapy. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely wanting to go and study that because it's so needed on our planet. I think it's also an aspect of emotional intelligence, which is so important the way we look at it in shamanism because emotional intelligence is about being able to understand emotions from a place where you don't feel like you're a victim, where you actually realize you have power and you can actually make change, which is long-lasting change to create on the planet. And that's something we're missing, and that's why we have so much tumultuous experiences happening in people's lives and family and relationships and things that we see on a global level and also the things we see on a social political level as well. And so I think that everyone having that on their, I would say, their, their spiritual belt of evolution, you know, you can't go wrong. But I really want to talk about that, you know, taking, you know, she's talking about hypnotherapy, right? Skipnotherapy, which is hypnotherapy on steroids, right? And I really love that idea because I've been a, an avid um, person in hypnotherapy. I, you know, I used to believe at one point in my life that hypnotherapy was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then I had this amazing experience where I was in Greece with this guy and he took me in hypnotherapy and I didn't really believe he hypnotized me and then he played a tape recorder and found out that I was an oracle of Delphi. I didn't even know what Delphi is. I never heard of Delphi. I never read a book on Delphi and literally um, the next day his family took me 
that morning to Delphi and I got to relive and go experience like the energy and the feeling of one of my other lifetimes. And I thought it was really amazing because, you know, I had no idea what Delphi was and the fact that I said it on a recorder through hypnotherapy. But now what she's doing is she's taking and creating something so amazing in this advanced version of hypnotherapy, which has a lot of shamanism in it, which really relates to me. You know, this RTT, it's something special, you know, because in shamanism, the whole idea about shamanism is building a relationship and understanding your relationship and being able to create a relationship with everything around you that's from your people you know your community yourself the food you eat the words you take in your ancestors you know your environment you know everything right is about a relationship and how we have a relationship has to be symbiosis it has to be this this give and a take and this beautiful expression and i love what she talks about when she talks about uh the breath you know and how when we really think about it right and we understand that, you know, how we are in flow with things, right? The giving and receiving is like breathing. And so it's the same with how we deal with people. When we give love to them, we receive love because that's harmonious, right? And when we, when we go out into the world and we, we, we put money out into the world, we also should receive money and not feel guilty or shameful that we're taking money or that we have money. It should be this constant flow. And that's the same thing in shamanism. And so I really, really appreciate the, these points that she touched on which are so powerful. And I love the whole thing she talked about with the, the Amy Winehouse behavior. Can you get, that is so cool, right? The Amy Winehouse behavior of self-destructive self, right? And it's, it's that whole aspect of like how we've been taught to, to live our lives is that we've been constantly beating up on ourselves, limiting ourselves, holding ourselves back and making excuses for things we shouldn't really be making excuses for. In fact, I love how she talks about the idea that we really have to honor our gifts and show other humans what is possible for humans to do. That means that when you're holding back your gift, you're holding back a lesson for humanity. Wow. Think about that. You're holding back a lesson from humanity, our species our evolution of our planet, our evolution of the collective consciousness is hurting because you choose to hold yourself back from your gifts and from who you are and what is easy for you to do. And so the whole idea of moving ourselves out of those self-destructive behaviors and getting into the vibrating at gratitude. I really love that she said that. I don't know if you got that, but I, I had to like make sure I made a note about that because vibrating at gratitude is such a beautiful thing because when you live in gratitude, you begin to realize the story that she told about how when she went to Africa and the guy asked her, do people really starve themselves and throw up their food in, um, in the States or in, in other parts of the world? And it is embarrassing that we have all this luxury, but we don't even know that it's luxury because we haven't really had anything to identify it with. And the fact that we haven't really seen what other people have been going through. And so instead of us complaining, which is draining, which you all know, 
then it's really about vibrating in gratitude. It is really honoring what we have so that we can be grateful for it and bring more of it in so that we can share more of it with everyone around us. So be grateful for the fact that you wake up in the morning and your eyes can see. And be grateful for the fact that you get fresh air in the morning and you can turn on your faucet and you can drink water. You can drink water and you can eat food when you open your refrigerator. So be grateful for those things. Be grateful that you can walk down the street and talk to someone and give someone a hug without having some type of pers army person escort you, you know, through landmines just to go talk to a friend. There's so many beautiful things in life that we have to be mindful of. And that mindfulness comes in with our gratitude. And I really love how she talked about that. And the things that she brought up, you know, in this share was so beautiful. You know, I really, um, I don't know if you got that one about, you know, also love and how the mind solves problems. So we get deeper understanding of how illness is created. You know, when she talked about the mind, she said something that was really important, and I don't know if you got it, so I'm just going to share it with you. The mind is not logical. It's the feeling mind. The mind is not logical. It's the feeling mind. When she gave the examples of how we create things in our life, right? So like, for instance, you know, like the child, you know, who didn't get the love or, you know, just little things in life that we don't realize that we're actually creating. Like if you go to the person doesn't like their job, then they get an ulcer. So yeah, they're not making money, but at least they're at home on the couch, you know, where they're not going to die because they're saying things like, you know, I hate my job. I'll just die here. You know, the mind's like, oh, we don't want you to die. Let's give you something to stop you from going to work and put you on sick leave. You know, like we don't realize how powerful we are. And I think the takeaway for me is realizing how powerful our mind is. It's not just this mind that thinks randomly. It's a mind that's really functional and really paying attention to what we say. And when she says that the mind is a feeling mind, that means that the mind is constantly solving problems to your life. So if you do have roadblocks and you do have things that are showing up in your life that you can't deal with, or don't want to deal with, it's important for you to look at why and what is going on with your thinking process around it. Like if you're having money problems, you know, don't just react to the money problems. Dig a little deeper. Look at your thoughts and your ideas of things that you went through in your childhood like she did with me. One of the things she talked about which, you know, I don't know if you noticed when I was doing it, I was crying literally in studio with her. I mean, she literally broke me down to my childhood because growing up in my family and having a father who was a multimillionaire and watching him constantly complain about the electricity, you know, will constantly compare us to other people, other kids, other peers, you know, look at what we have, look at what they have. You know, they don't have what we have. So, you know, you can't go sharing it with every single person because they're going to know how much we have. And so, you know, it, it seemed like there was so much burden and stress around money. And I, I thought there was such an unfairness about how come you're a multimillionaire, but this other person isn't a multimillionaire. And why can't we give our money to that person so they can have the nice clothes and drive the nice cars and have the great birthday parties and have the, you know, whatever it is that, you know, we could use, you know, from, from having that type of money. And, you know, and I, so I, I did, I grew up as a kid 
who, you know, I remember there's something I did in school where I went to school once and I'm sure some of the students of mine who, you know, I was in class with who, you know, listened to our shares remembers I went to school and I went to my class and I asked everyone in my class, what do you want for Christmas? And then I told my nanny, we're going to go out and buy every single one that they want. If they want a skateboard and they want a specific skateboard, I made sure they got it. One girl said, I want a telephone that's like a piano. I got it for her. One person wanted like a cool like glow lamp that has all the kind of liquids in it. And I got it for them. Every kid in my class got everything they wanted. And I wasn't really interested about what I got under the Christmas tree. I was more interested about what everyone else got because I knew we had so much. And every time a friend would come over and be like, wow, I can't believe your dad just got you that new leather jacket. I'm like, do you like it? They're like, yeah. I'm like, you can have it. Because I felt that it wasn't fair for me to have all of those things and that other people didn't have them as well. And that taught me a very valuable lesson, especially spending time with Marissa Peer. It helped me to understand that that part of myself created a belief that I don't really want that. I'd rather have connection with people and conversations with people and intimate moments with people than dealing with those things such as like money and wealth and all of that. Because as even though my father had all that money and was so wealthy and could fly us wherever we want, whenever we want, he was still unhappy. And that's what I saw. I saw a father that was unhappy. Unhappy, why? when you have all that money. He wasn't living his truth. He was just become a workaholic. And as he was a workaholic, that's all he's become. Just constantly working and making money and being unhappy. And I said to myself, I don't want that. I don't want to be that, that person who is a workaholic and all I think about is making money, but I don't get to enjoy time with beautiful people. You know, I noticed, you know, in my life that I started to get rid of money a lot and give people things all the time. Whenever someone wanted something, I was like, oh, you can have it. Oh, you, don't, you like my motor scooter? You can have it. You would drive it better than I would. I made up excuses for every reason why I gave people everything. And I did it because I felt like what was more important was my relationship with them. And it's beautiful what she said when, you know, Marissa Peer talked about, you know, this one thing where she said connection right? Connection is survival to us and rejection means we'll die. That's something interesting to think about, to take and really consider in your life. How much in our life do we want to have connection that we don't even realize half the things that we're doing is so that we can be acknowledged, seen, and valued. And through that connection, then we feel like we're part of something. We're part of someone or something but does it mean that we have to sacrifice who we are or hide who we are or change who we are to make ourselves have that connection because of that fear of rejection means we'll die. That's pretty heavy. And I mean heavy, like really heavy, you know, like it weighs your soul down heavy. The idea of true connection is to first connect with yourself. And connecting with yourself is being honest and having authenticity with you first. Because the greatest person you could ever be truthful to that makes a huge importance in the world is to yourself. Having connection and reflection 
allows you to be able to create the energy that is necessary to show up in someone's life and truly be there from a loving place. When we're so afraid that we're going to be rejected, then we make choices that are so discordant to who we are. And also, we devalue ourselves, we limit ourselves, and we hold ourselves back because we are afraid that someone is not going to like us or not going to be seen. We're not going to be acknowledged. But if we start seeing and acknowledging ourselves, then it helps other people to see and acknowledge us as well. The more clear we are with how we see ourselves, the more clear window we have for other people to look into. I think the idea of connection to survive is a huge issue on our planet. And I think that if we begin to really understand what true connection is, which is acceptance, then we can make allowance to accept all the mirrored and many colors of the rainbow that exist in every human being. Because there's so many beautiful reflections on earth that should be accepted and loved no matter what. Even if we don't understand them, even if we don't get it, it exists. And therefore, it's a reason to accept it. Because we can't have a world that's in one color. We need all the colors and all the experiences and all the things that we can share with each other because that's how wisdom grows. Wisdom grows by different people having different experiences. Some people having experiences with the same thing, but because they had different lives and ate different food and had different upbringing and different cultures, their experience of it is different. The way that they perceived it is different. And when they share their story about it, it's different. And I think that's something to be admirable about, something to really shine into the world, our differences, and not be afraid of them. And know just by having them, we are making a connection. I am so happy that we had an amazing share with Marissa Pierre. And I encourage you, because I know myself, I'm definitely going to be studying and taking classes with her. Because why not? Yes, I'm a shaman and I have a lot of information, but you know what? You can never stop learning. Because that's the key to always keeping yourself in a place of growth, humbleness, and humility. So tribe, keep learning, keep growing, keep knowing, Keep sharing, keep caring. I love you so much, and I'm so excited that we got to have this share. Love you. Hey, Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors who is Lit Verified. I love Ayurveda, Tribe, and that is why I love Yuveda. Yuveda offers complete Ayurvedic supplements which support mood digestion, joint, immunity, and general health. My favorite one is the mood because I'm dealing with so much energy coming from everywhere and it's always nice to keep my mood in the right place. In addition, Yuveda also just launched their new essential oils, which I'm super excited about. Yuveda's new roll-on essential oils are perfect for quick relief throughout your day. 
available for mood, digestion, immunity, and joints, and pairs perfectly with your supplement kit, supporting ideal internal and external balance. Another reason I love Uvita is that their mission revolves around paying their respect to Mother Nature. And through this, they have partnered with One Tree Planted, a nonprofit organization dedicated to reforestation for every supplement kit sold. Uvita will be donating $1. $1 is all you need to plant one tree. Every supplement kit will plant one tree how awesome is that? And how cool to be giving back. Use code SHAMAN gets you 35% off a one-time order and an additional 5% off of a subscription order.